This is episode 93 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with S.J. Garland. Garland is a Canadian expat whose work and personal life has enabled worldwide travel to the United Kingdom, Switzerland, and currently Singapore, where she lives with her husband and family. Garland's historical fiction themes are informed by her professional work and an undergraduate degree in history and a master's degree in human rights. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Garland Simons, who writes under the pen name S.J. Garland. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and Garland <laughs> is coming to us from Singapore. She is uh, way abroad talking to me early in the morning, but this is I'm interrupting her writing time. But she's actually coming to us from Singapore. And uh, she and her family have been there through the whole COVID pandemic. And we're going to talk about her books. And well, you know, this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is the beauty of technology. At least we can be doing this, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's good to, uh, you know, meet some fresh faces. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's my favorite thing in the world, talking to authors who love horses and writing about them, with, which Garland has done here. So, you know, for those who listen to the show, how I always like to start things off is to get a little insight into how horses have touched fellow authors' lives. So Garland, how have horses touched your life? They have sort of been a part of my life from a very early age. I think that um, like if you live rurally in Canada, somebody always has a horse or you own a horse as well. These days, um, I don't own a horse, unfortunately. Um, in Singapore, that's a bit out of my uh, price range. Uh, however, normally when I go home to Canada, um, we ride the horses down at a farm just down from my parents' house. Um, and that's where they board their animals. And I normally go back at least once a year kind of thing. So obviously because of the Singapore pandemic, I haven't been on a horse for about two years, um, but they're still kind of touching my life every day. I was just uh, having a laugh about that question because I'm friends with several horse trainers and they're always putting up advice and stuff on like how to train your horses and, and stuff like that. And uh, I'm always like, oh, that's actually really good advice for my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny how like horse training uh, advice can actually like go over into like parenting advice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is for that is perfect. And then before we jump into your book, you know, you you grew up in in Canada. You are from Canada. Did did you go to Singapore for work, and then the pandemic happened? Is that how how this whole thing started, or or your husband's work? How did you wind up there? So I actually originally went to the UK to study and I lived in London for about four years. And uh, in that time, I met my husband, who's actually from New Zealand. <laughs> and then I lived in Switzerland for about four years because he got a job there about seven years ago now, which is crazy to think about. Uh, we moved to Singapore and normally 
uh, we're very privileged. So we get to like travel and see our family quite a bit. But obviously, because of COVID, we can't because we're not uh, Singapore citizens or permanent resident holders, we can't leave and come back in like we you can always leave, but you, you can't come back in. So we're kind of uh, just stuck here until uh, the world sorts itself out, really. <laughs> and you, you know, we were talking a little bit about this before we, you know, started recording the interview. And and you're handling this in a very optimistic way. And your family is, you're all healthy and safe. And you're you're just kind of you're there and missing home. But I imagine you found an opportunity for your creativity during this kind of stay put period. Uh, did, did you kind of, is that kind of how you've managed through this is, you know, really focusing on your creativity and the health of your family? Uh, definitely. I think that, I mean, everybody kind of handles things in a different way. I mean, I've been an author since we worked in, since we moved to Switzerland. So I've been working from home for a really long time. So that part didn't phase me at all. So I'm kind of already accustomed to kind of getting up early and getting the writing in before my daughter gets up and gets ready for school and that kind of stuff. I mean, what has actually been more uh, difficult is just getting accustomed to my husband working from home and because he hasn't done it before so that is like a whole other uh, kettle fish <laughs> as they say he's actually become quite accustomed to it I think that the reality of working from home uh, you know we are really lucky mm-hmm. we both still have our jobs and um, we have like a you know a comfortable place to live and we don't have to worry about any of that kind of stuff so yeah, it sucks that we don't get to do all the stuff that we normally would do. But the reality is, is that there's people who are in far worse uh, circumstances than us. So I kind of take a, a step back every time I get frustrated with something. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's the best way to look at it, you know. And, and I think you're handling handling it with a lot of grace. And you know, we, the I think the way we work is going to shift because of this whole COVID thing. And I love that you're still, you know, finding ways for your creativity to work, uh, despite, you know, having everybody there and, you know, kind of have, having to work around each other, but it, but it ends up working out. The same, same situation occurred with my husband and I, him working from home and I'm working from home as well. And, and we've kind of, now we're in the routine where it, it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're malleable, right? You know, every, uh, we can, we can change our routines to work uh, in any weird situation. I'm so glad to hear that everything is is good for you there and and nothing major has occurred besides that you haven't seen your family so so you're here today to talk to us about uh your new book first past the post which is really exciting you have placed horses in a woman stud farm owner at the center of this new book and it's set in victorian times can you give us a little summary of of what you're doing with this this book which is a new part of a series for you Yes, so I kind of went back to my historical roots uh, with this one. I originally wrote historical adventure books, and I picked up this book a few years ago, actually. So that's how long it takes for ideas to kind of percolate through my head, I suppose. Just about um, American heiresses who travel to London uh, to find aristocratic husbands. And I thought um, when I was reading, it was just really fascinating that, you know, even back then people were like so socially conscious. (laughs) And then uh, I was reading. Reading uh, later on about uh, Victoria and Queen Victoria and her stud and how much she loved her animals and she was you know always inquiring about them going down to uh, the farm and uh, uh, making sure that they were all right and stuff and was very interested in like her breeding lines and and that kind of thing so 
I thought of amalgamating the two into like one and like how that would kind of look and stuff. And because I like to turn everything on its head, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I made uh, the, the stud owner a woman. So that's Eva, the main character in the story. And she is, you know, not a typical um, heiress. She likes to get her hands dirty, but she's also kind of uh, a bit prim and proper as well. And she ends up having uh, her, her prize stud basically stolen and uh, by an evil horse racing syndicate, which were um, very much part of the norm back in the Victorian days. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, she obviously has to have a love interest because it's a historical romance and that sort of thing. But um, the, really, the, the story developed out of her. You know, she is the main character. She is kind of the driving force. Her love of animals is always part of the plot line as well. So she's a kind of a great character to work with. <laughs> yeah, and I, I liked her. She was very, very bold, very outspoken, and and uh, you were your publicist was gracious enough to send me an advanced copy of the book, and I I really enjoyed it. It was a had the romance element, but there's also a lot of suspense and mystery going on, and a strong female lead, which is which is really great. Which I which I wanted to ask. I understand you want to normalize historic heroines instead of placing them on a pedestal or diminishing them. Talk to us a little bit about how Eva. Mackenzie, who is the lead we were just talking about, what was the inspiration behind her? I, how did you give her her, her grit? I just sort of used uh, personalities of different horsewomen that I already know in my own life. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> it's funny because like most of the women that I know who are horse owners and mo- the trainers that I know in my life are like total badasses. I don't know if I can say that on this podcast. You can. You can. <laughs> <laughs> I like women badasses. Great word. <laughs> they pretty much say things like it is and they're super direct. And so that's how I made Eva as well. And I think that if you are a, uh, an animal trainer of any sort, actually, so I have another friend who is a zoologist and she actually works with big cats and she has a lot of things to say about the Tiger King, but that I digress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, women who are trainers, first of all, you know, they're in a sport that's dominated by men. So in order, they need to speak out in order to make themselves heard. Um, I don't think that you can be a wilting flower. So Eva obviously is the only female trainer of her uh, time. And so she basically has to make her own path. She needs to make herself heard or not heard, you know, whether or not she wants to be a part of that group or not, it is kind of her own decision. But I think that that also translates over to our time as well. Like, there's not a lot of female trainers in horse racing, I don't think anyways, that I saw. More female trainers in um, like dressage and that sort of thing, uh, really. But um, you still, it's super competitive. There's loads of money in it and you have to, you know, this is my decision. You can agree or disagree, but I already made it. So that's kind of how I made Eva. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really got that from her. And, you know, and she she's very bold and very straightforward and but also a lady, which I which I really appreciated, but she knows her horses. And I, I loved how you made her always think of the horses first before she thought of anything else. And I think, I think that is so right on about women horse owners or horse owners in general, like the horse always does have to come first. So that was, that was spot on. Now, Eva in this book is on a mission to rescue her beloved horse storm dancer uh, Mm -hmm. from the clutches, as you said, of an abusive crime syndicate that steals thoroughbreds and uses them for illegal race gambling. I mean, whoa, that's like a big, that's like a big pile there. 
you know, how did you, you mentioned you read a couple books, which inspired the story, but like, how did you research the, the times and the topic? Because, you know, I think a woman stud farm owner in that time was pretty, is pretty much an anomaly, right? So like, how mm-hmm. did you, how did you understand that world so you could tell this story? I read a lot of, and, and I do with, with most of my historical books, I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies. So there were actually a, quite a few um, really great American male trainers at that time. Uh, most of them obviously were super rich, <laughs> let's face yeah. it. But there are, um, so the, the train, there's a train incident partway through the book, and that's actually inspired on a true life event that happened in the States. An American trainer, um, horse owner, was actually traveling with his prize uh, horses to a meet in in the states, and uh, the train was. Uh, it's my, to my understanding, the train was sabotaged basically so that he wouldn't make the meet um, and win those races. So all these, you'd like to think of like the mafia and gangs and stuff like that. It's like something that's like very like like uh, the godfather or like, you know, 21st, 20th century kind of thing. But actually all of that stuff was happening then as well. In fact, recently I just watched the first, rewatched the first uh, season of the Peaky Blinders because they are, uh, their whole thing is about horse race betting. They have this one horse and it's going to win and somebody um, sabotages their horse. The, the, that, I mean, it, it was big money back then, obviously that is the only thing that's racing. There's no motor cars or anything like that. So it's, um, you know, dev, it, it's kind of all over the place, but you have to look for it. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I, I love how you said you, you write, you read biographies. It's sort of how like facts can kind of inspire fiction, you know, just in, in, in embedding yourself sort of in that time in that world through through reading other books and then you know watching shows and and the story kind of comes to life and and I really get that yeah it was all about money I mean the the people that you're writing about it was either dukes and lords and you know they all it was very wealthy and you know you, you created a very vivid world of that of that time and then you know, I think female strength is an obvious message uh, inside your book, but is there is there a message or a theme that you hope readers take away after they've finished First Past the Post? I would hope that they get an understanding that um, things like animal welfare and ideas about like feminism, you know, they didn't just start in the 1950s and 60s. Like it is a discussion that's been happening for ever you know, nothing kind of happens in a vacuum and like all of the progress that we've made today has been made um, by people basically like speaking their truth and doing their thing and just kind of like following their path. Nobody lives in a vacuum. There's always kind of things going on. Like people, women didn't just accept the fact that they were second-class citizens. They did things in order to, you know, be themselves and to to try and make it so that the next generation were not second-class citizens. Um, people who are animal lovers, you know, they didn't just walk by animal cruelty. You know, they stopped and they did something about it or they talked about it. And all of those things are important to understand so that we continue to talk about them as well. And we continue to kind of, you may not agree with everything that comes out, but you, you're allowed to have your own opinion. Mm-hmm. You, and, you know, you're allowed to, you know, have these big discussions. I mean, obviously right now, the big thing everybody is talking about um, in my circles anyways, is the, you know, the Netflix documentary that just came out on the oceans, the, 
the, the fisheries and all that kind of stuff. And people are like, oh, well, what are we supposed to do? Not eat fish again? And you think, well, you know, maybe you just need to <laughs> make a few changes or, you know, we, you know, farmers, how much, you know, their perception of like how animals are treated and are treated now, racing, how animals were just put down basically if they were not performing and how people have started a whole movement to rescue those animals from the race course and like adopt them and how they are beautiful, amazing animals just because they don't win big races, right? Mm -hmm. Like somebody saw that there was a problem and so they did something grassroots about it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I love that you're talking about this because you have a master's degree in human rights, which is, yeah. you know, you are the right person to be talking about this. You know, can you, can you, since we're on this topic, can you talk a little bit about some of the work that you've done and how those efforts inform your books, which you just touched on there? Where do you see the greatest need? How can, how can others help, even if it's in a small way? For, so for myself, yes, I do have a master's in human rights. Unfortunately, I haven't really used it for much. <laughs> it sometimes happens when you end up going to school. My big thing is, uh, well, I, we moved to Switzerland and uh, you were in, and we lived in the small German town. And uh, it was, you know, you know, unless you spoke German, which, you know, I, I have learned is not an easy language just to pick up at the drop of the hat. I um, mean, we're not going to get uh, any work and nobody was going to talk to you about human rights, um, which is why I started writing, actually. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I kind of learned out of my master's and sort of what I've learned, because I uh, friends with all the people that I did do master's with and uh, went on to do amazing, beautiful things in the world. start at the grassroots you know you see you know if you're a horse owner and you see somebody else struggling then you know ask to help out that kind of thing like you ask to help out at animal shelters um whatever your passion is I think that that is definitely um you know where you kind of want to start I mean for myself uh I worked with homeless people for a long time when I was living in London and uh, still to this day, like if I see somebody on the street, I'll sit down and have a chat. Mm. You know, I don't necessarily like offer money or food or anything like that. But sometimes just sitting down and acknowledging, like, hey, like, looks like you've had a pretty tough time. Do you want to talk about it? You know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But I mean, if you, that's to me, that's grassroots, right? Like that's something that I did in that day that, you know, made made it may or may not have made a difference to someone else I mean I know personally like my family lives in like I grew up in Vancouver but they now live in northern um, BC and in the winter time sometimes it can be really hard for horse owners if they've lost their job or whatever sometimes Mm -hmm. they just need help with a bale of hay or you know they they've adopted some horses from somewhere else and they just need like you know horse blankets or they just need like something like you know, in the back of a truck when you've got sitting there or whatever, I think that um, everybody can kind of help out. Uh, They just need to kind of figure out exactly like if they want to do it or not really. (laughs) Yeah. And I I love that because we can affect change by being kind to other beings, right? You know, like there's human kindness, but there's also like recognizing animals are beings. There's an energy that is the trees and the ocean and all, all the things that you mentioned, like, we, you know, by being thoughtful, that can affect change. And, and I wouldn't discount that you're not using your degree, like some of your, <laughs> your colleagues, because you are, you, you're, you just talked about that here. 
you it's informing your creative writing, you know, and because there are threads of that all throughout your your latest book. So I I would uh, I would not discount your education because I think you are you are using it in a in a very interesting and different way. You know, it doesn't all look the same. You know, it's like people are reading your words and you are sharing this without there isn't like a preachy thing going on. It's just it's a thread, and it's very it's very uh, soft, but it's yeah. obviously there. Talk to us about your book cover. Like, what inspired your book cover? It's very captivating and powerful. I'll let you describe what it looks like. Uh, from we talked earlier too, and you said that <laughs> all of your your paperback copies are in the states with your publicist, so you don't have it here yes. in the show. But I'll make sure to link to the image in the show notes. But tell us a little bit about your cover. Yeah, I love that cover. I kind of wanted to do a juxtaposition. You know, Eva is you know she's down in the barn. She is, you know, helping with the horses. She's not afraid to muck out a stall kind of thing, but she's also an heiress. She has loads of money and she is a part of New York society. It's a very proper picture of a woman having, you know, basically just where she has a drink of tea. You know, she is from two worlds, basically. And I like the idea that, you you know, people are not one thing, actually. They're like 50 things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. And I'll kind of continue with that whole theme for the rest of the books in the series. So, yeah, it's just I, I really I fell in love with that picture, actually. And the, it's just like the red lipstick. It's perfect. <laughs> yes. And she's, she's got a hat kind of down over her eyes. And, you know, so you just see her red lips and you can tell she's she's a proper lady from from the the imagery and and anyone who likes historical books or historical romance would be drawn to to look at that cover for sure now you just you just mentioned i was going to say first past the post is the first book in your new the american heiress series talk to us about where you plan to take the rest of the the books are you are you going to stay with the theme is our horses going to thread throughout or is it going to be more focused on bold women making a change and a difference uh, in their environments. So I don't want to give too much away, but the horse racing syndicate will be a part of mm. the rest of the books, but maybe just like a smaller part kind of thing. I'm kind of looking at uh, maybe like five, five or six more books and looking at them very much in a uh, kind of like a Sherlock Holmes sort of like, big kind of tentacles kind of coming down and there's lots of kind of like interests or and but everything will kind of fit together in the end if that makes kind of that makes total sense that's actually and I'm not going to give anything away either but that's sort of what I felt like you're what you were going to do at the end of the book like there there are more stories to be told that this first book you know alludes to and then you're going to dive into some you know other backgrounds and other characters yeah so that's awesome five or six that's that's a big series. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like to do anything small. For some reason, like the thought of only writing one book is really sad to me. <laughs> actually, it's a, it's an incredible strategy for an author because people do like series. It, it's like, it, there's, there's research out there that says so, you know, people like to binge read sort of like they're binging, you know, TV programs these days on like Netflix, you know, it's like yeah. people clamor for the next book in the series and, and, that's a key to building a backlist that then makes you more income as an author. So smart yeah, story. I mean, I, I like to read series too. Like that is my thing. Like I like all my favorite historical romance books all have like the other characters pop up in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I personally love that. So and, and I love that you mentioned that too. So you're you're writing in a genre that you yourself love to read. So you so you write you write 
in the genre that you like to read too, which is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I write I write in several genres at the moment, but like I don't think that you can write in a genre that you don't like to read. Mm-hmm. That would just be weird, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> that would be totally weird. That's, it's like when people, you know, when people pick up a, a copy of a book or something, and they're like, "Well, I never," and in their review, they're like, "I don't even read romance." And so why why would you read it if that's not what you like to read? Because you're exactly. probably not going to like it. So that you know, I always find that kind of strange. And, and you have written other other books and in, in other genres. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the other things that you've written and, and some of the other genres you touch? So I first started out in historical adventure. So I have a couple series in historical adventure. One of them is set here in Singapore. And then I kind of went on a big contemporary arc. So I have like a whole bunch of contemporary books. And then I was publishing like maybe two or three of those a year. And then I just kind of got to the point where I was like, you know, what? I just I don't want to write about it anymore. I need a break. And um, I wrote first past the post. And then I wrote another another book that I'm kind of just sitting on. I haven't decided what I'm going to do with it yet. <laughs> As happens. <laughs> the news needs to ruminate a little. <laughs> exactly. Super normal. And I love that you mentioned that too, because you don't have to stay in a vein either. You can explore other genres. And, and when you're feeling stale or stuck, you can pivot and work on something else that refreshes and re-energizes that creativity. So I think, I think that's really great. Now, what, how have you decided, how do you look at publishing? Are you an indie author or do you go, have you gone the traditional route? Like how, how are you getting your books published and out in the world? I do have one contemporary romance that's traditionally published, but most of my books are all indie uh, publishing. I mean, it's just really luck of the draw, really. Like when you kind of start writing books and I'm publishing, so I've been publishing for ages now. Um, I try to send them out to like a few agents and kind of see what happens with it. The reality is, is that I don't necessarily write to the market. I write for like what I want to read. So like maybe you hit on like something that the agent is in the market is looking for at that time, or maybe you don't. I mean, that's the reality. I follow loads of indie author groups and, you know, people, you know, it's the same thing. Like you just have to, if you want to be traditionally published, there's nothing saying that you can't. Just got to lots of times face a lot of rejection (laughs) and just kind of don't take it personally and kind of like keep going and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. I think for myself, I know a lot of people that are traditionally published, but then they just kind of, you know, their books didn't necessarily sell any better than when you do the work yourself or as an indie author as well. So I think that um, there's lots of different elements. It totally depends on what your personality is. I mean, the reality is, is that I think that if you ask any author, if a publisher came up to you and was like, hey, I'm going to offer you like X amount of dollars to take your book, you'd say, yeah, that would be amazing. Thank you. (laughs) But that is like, like a unicorn. (laughs) It is, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, if you want to just be an, you know, I'm an uh, an author, I'm a writer. I think it depends. Everybody has, uh, every author or writer has their measuring stick of when they decide that they are a writer or not. Like to me, if you like sat down this morning and you got a thousand words out, to me, you're a writer. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that you've published anything or not, but like, hey, you sat down and you did it. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's see if you can do it tomorrow. I mean, (laughs) like, 
uh, I'm always like super encouraging, like, come on, you can do it. Cause you know, you know how hard it is, right? Oh yes, it is hard. And you know, you, you, people may think a thousand words isn't a lot, but it is. And I love that you said, if you sit down every morning and you write the thousand words, you are a writer. And if you do it again tomorrow and again tomorrow. Yeah. And, and we all, we, how lucky are we that we now are in a time where we can take control and publish the books we want and not have to write what is trending or what somebody else wants you to write or like a, a certain way, you know, it's like it, we can write what we want to write now and people are buying independently published books, which is yeah. incredible. And many independent authors are doing even better than traditional authors. So, and I love that there's this whole tribe of us that are getting together and supporting each other, you know, in, in the equestrian world, but elsewhere, you know, there's, there's so much information out there. Sometimes it can be overwhelming, but I like that you took the power and you decided, Hey, I'm going to do this. And you're doing it well. I mean, you have a professional cover designer, you know, you are working with a publicist, which is how we found each other, you know, so, and you're sending out advanced reader copies, like you're doing, you're doing all this stuff that would be happening anyway, if you were with a traditional publisher and we make a little bit more money and we can (laughs) property, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like if somebody were to say like, Hey, historical, romance is trending right now will definitely buy your book I would be like oh right okay well you know let's see what the terms and conditions are on that like because mm-hmm. <laughs> I normally have full control but the reality is is that um yeah, I feel like I'm like an outlier like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like way like ahead of everyone else <laughs> I don't like yeah. to think of as behind I like to give it way ahead <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of traditionally for a long time traditionally published authors who are going hybrid and they're self-publishing some of the, the stuff that they want to write that their publishers don't want or their agents can't sell. So it's just awesome that we have the ability to, to, to do that. And I love that you said, okay, let's see what the contract says, because that that's where it gets down and dirty. You got to read that contract and, and not just go, oh, you want to buy my book. You have to see, you know, what you might be possibly signing away, like audiobook rights or uh, rights to be internationally distributed you, you never know what's going on or so just you, you know the rights to those characters right I mean you created them you like Eva to me is a fantastic character and I'll be using her and her love of horses throughout the rest of that series and you know what if for whatever reason I had sold it to a publisher and it didn't do very well then I her maybe would not have been able to write about her again mm. that would be a tra- that would be a tragedy in my life that would be like somebody dying actually <laughs> <laughs> because we live with these characters for so long and they grow in our minds and you know we're thinking of them always and yeah I, I 100% know what you're talking about and I'm thinking about my fifth book and I'm thinking you know what happens when I'm not having a relationship with all these characters and I'm on to like a new book series that's going to be very strange because I've been living with that like, you know, my first book, book published in 2015 and very well done it's a long time you know it's like where 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 are they gonna go are they gonna still be with me you know they talk to me <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I think the day that they stop talking to you is the day that you start a new series in my opinion right on yeah I, <laughs> I agree with you 100 percent. yeah so do you have those moments where you're like working on your book and and you come out of a writing session and you're just like whoa where was I I wasn't even there the characters are kind of telling me how to propel this forward absolutely um they kind of like I I'm pretty structured with how I write stuff so I normally have um the plot line for the book like I'm gonna go from point a to like point z 
but I need to touch on these things. Sometimes things can go a little awry and then they kind of come back again, but definitely, you know, the character drives the story for me. So you can have a flimsy-ish plot line, but if you are not reading the story and wanting to like strangle the character or like hug them or whatever with them, then the, the story is ruined. Then you can put it down. But the, the biggest thing is that people should want to find out what happens to that person at the end of the story and make a connection, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, I totally agree. And eliciting emotion, whether it's strangling or really wanting you know, to hug is is part of the writer's job, right? And that's part of the character's job. And, you know, it's like the strangling part, you know, sometimes readers don't like that, but you are eliciting emotion from your reader. And I think there's nothing more special than that, right? So that's those are great words of wisdom. And then you said you 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 take a structured approach to writing your books, like you have mm -hmm. the plot kind of outlined. You know where you're heading. Do you how do you structure your day so you get the words on the page? Because you know you're a mom, you've got a lot going on. Like, how do you ensure you're moving your book projects forward? Uh, so I'm up at 5 a.m. <laughs> That's basically how that that works. Um, before I had Ophelia, um, obviously, like I could get up later and you have all this time and, you know, you think you're busy, but you're not busy. You know, I, I talk to people who become first time horse owners as well. <laughs> they say the same thing. They're like, I thought I was busy before I got the horse, but now I'm like. <laughs> now I'm super busy. Yes. Uh, when I think it, when you are taking care of like another living being, like suddenly the shift focuses, it focuses to someone else. So I basically, you know, I'm, I'm up at 5 a.m. Uh, you know, if I'm lucky, she'll sleep in until seven, but she's also an early bird like myself, mm -hmm. which is nice for school because I don't have to wake her up, right? But mm -hmm. <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's good and bad to all, I suppose. I try to, when I'm really writing, so at the moment I'm writing um, like an urban realism, like a magic realism type of story set here in Singapore, which is like a bit off piece for myself, but I got inspired by something. Uh, I'm trying to get that book out because somebody really wants to see it. So I'm up at 5 a.m. I try to write 4,000 words a day. Hmm. So I sit there and then I try to get like a couple thousand out before my daughter gets up. Uh, for school and then we do breakfast and like the morning stuff and then I send her off and then I'm like back at the computer again like nobody call nobody do anything <laughs> but especially if I'm on a good writing streak and I can kind of get on with my day but that's kind of that's writing time that's usually like six to eight weeks mm -hmm. because as you know as an author like you write a lot more than what actually gets uh, published in the page <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that is true. So you, so you're, you were inspired, your muse went this way and you followed it, which I always think is a smart thing to do. And, and so you're writing this urban fantasy. Did I get that right? So yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is cool. I think you grab that. And then you've got this six, five to six book series uh, with the heiresses that you're working on. So how long in general does it take you to write a book? I mean, you have a, you're getting 4,000 words a day. That's that blows the lid off of NaNoWriMo, which is like what, uh, 1,636 words a day or something. So you, you're getting a book written pretty quickly. Is that right? Well, the rough draft anyways, yeah. I mean, rough draft people, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that, I mean, that probably takes me about six to eight weeks. I mean, it depends too. Like I have my daughter has vacation time in there or, you know, other sort of like, uh, 
you know, disasters kind of happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes about six to eight weeks. And then I have that rough draft. And then it's all about tightening up myself that rough draft. I think what you're referencing is like life gets in the way, even if you, you know, but you're still, you're dedicating time for your creativity and you're writing books pretty quickly. And the, the first draft, like I always tell people, just write the book, get yes. the first draft done. And usually it's, you know, not awesome. It needs a lot of cleaning up. It needs a lot of fixing, but that, but that's when it comes alive is in the editing process. But it yes. sounds to me like you just, you get it out, which is the best thing to do and you get it out fast and then you, and then you go to work on it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's nothing worse than having, I did have one book and it took me ages to get it out. And by the end, like, I just, I wasn't interested in it anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. the characters were stale, like the whole thing. So I kind of shelved it. Um, for me as an author and everybody kind of has their own process, I guess that is also the big thing too, right? Like everyone has their own process. Everybody has what time they can dedicate to it. I mean, I'm fairly lucky as soon as my daughter goes to school that I can get back to work and stuff. But I mean, people have lives, people have like real jobs, like all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> that they need to do. But for me, it's really important, as you said, get the rough draft out and then I can start tweaking things and then I can fix it up so that, you know, my editor can, you know, slice it apart into a million pieces. <laughs> and give it back to me and then the whole process starts again but you can't get you you know you can't get constructive feedback until you have something on the page really absolutely yeah and that's a great strategy you know get the rough draft out there and go to work on it and put your buns in the chair and be the writer that you want to be and I you know I love that you said can you do it tomorrow can you do it tomorrow then you're a writer and and that's so so true I mean writing your first book is always the mountain to climb. And then once you've done it once, it doesn't ever get easier, but you know, you can do it. And then, so you come down to the other side. <laughs> yeah. But you learn so much, like with oh. every single book that you write, like you learn so much mm-hmm. and you get better. Yeah. Like I, I, I love, I, I love it because you get better at doing it. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And, um, you know, and then you hold the thing and you're like, oh my gosh, I created something that never existed. That's like the best feeling in the world. And uh, somebody else read it. They spent you know, time doing it and like interacted with my characters. This is amazing. <laughs> it is. It's, a, it's an incredible, incredible feeling and such a blessing to be able to do it. You know, and I, I wanted to ask you this too, because we, we've touched on it a couple of times during the interview, but you have lived in some incredible places. You're living in one right now during a very bizarre time. Tell us about how some of the places you've lived have inspired your books I mean you just mentioned that you're writing about something inspired by Singapore right now like how does living in a new environment like stimulate your creativity uh I think it uh, it stimulates it in different ways maybe that you wouldn't expect if that makes any sense so like I'm a huge history buff so when I lived in London I basically dragged like my now husband around to like every single castle I think there is in the <laughs> that country um and he was like oh great another castle but you know I wasn't you know necessarily interested in the castle I was interested in the people that lived there and like how all that stuff you know happened I think uh when we moved to Switzerland it was the same too I mean the Swiss have like a very they don't consider themselves European which is kind of fascinating they may are made up of like Italians French and Germans right but they consider themselves very much one and apart but they also have like their own history and as a Canadian you learn about British history you know that's kind of a part of your thing but you don't necessarily learn about um, history that's happening in 
like other countries like in within the year we kind of get like a gloss over right so it was really interesting to learn about that and obviously there's lots of stuff about the war there mm-hmm. and uh you know your world war ii and stuff which is not necessarily like uh, a history that i focus on myself it's a very fascinating country <laughs> but i imagine exactly. having gone into all those castles as a historical buff and and you're as you're doing your writing i imagine it helps you envision it even more vividly as you're as you're writing about these places or the people you know like just seeing seeing that right yeah I think it for me because I like like I said before I like to read a lot of biographies and autobiographies of the time so like they the the best thing about reading that sort of stuff is that they pick up on things that you wouldn't normally have thought about and then when you visit those places you can be like oh yeah like I totally get it so when I was reading Queen, I've read a lot of Queen Victoria's, like uh, um, her diaries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she talks about like, you know, today the weather was whatever, so we couldn't do this. Or, you know, today such and such a horse was born. So I went down and saw it and stuff. Um, but to actually like walk down and like see like stables and stuff like that, or there's loads of mews around, mm-hmm. they call them mews around London. Um, and that's basically like where they used to keep all of the horses. So everybody's horses would be in like, what if you couldn't afford your own stables, which a lot of people couldn't, even the big houses, because it's such a small space. All these horses were kept in like one kind of stable yard. And just going to see them and seeing like actually how tiny they were. And you wonder like how all of these animals that you know, <laughs> managed to get in there is, is actually quite fascinating. There's big history. And then there's like the interesting details. Yeah. When you go and visit places and live places, that's when you kind of get to know the intimately the the small details, I guess. Yeah, and you're you're immersed right now in what it's like to live in Singapore. You know, you're immersed in Switzerland. You're immersed in London. You know, you you were born in Canada. So it's just that's that's amazing. So I I only imagine that brings, and I, it's obvious in your writing, but like more just I don't know. I feel like it can help the muse like spin better you know especially in then reading about it first and then going seeing it and doing the tour I mean that would you recommend any author who's interested in writing historical anything do the reading and then visit the place oh absolutely but I think not just historical really um so my contemporary <laughs> my contemporary uh romance series is like based around different kind of clubs and stuff like that. So my contemporary romance has a bit of a Fifty Shades of Grey sort of uh, uh, feel to it. But in order to like really understand how that community works, I'm not a part of that community. You have to be sympathetic, be empathetic, read um, actual stories. Like don't look at it from like from here, from like this, like looking down on stuff. You've kind of got to you know, understand why people choose um, different lifestyles. And I think that that's really important for everything, really. If you can look at another person and be like, how is it that, you know, I could be in that same position? Or how is it that, you know, all of these choices have like affected other people? I think that you will become a much more sympathetic writer and therefore your characters become so much more realistic. You know, I think that's a big thing about, you know, where writers fail like if you understand where your character is coming from how they get their shelter how they get their food how they get their water then you will understand how they are interacting with other people in the book Mm. 
that those are lot, basic things, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, like what mm-hmm. what is what does your character need? But then, you know, I also like that you were talking about like what inspires someone to choose the lifestyle that that they choose and the empathy of being a writer really comes in there because maybe there is no choice maybe that's just who they are and that's intrinsic to their personality and you know it's not a choice it is who they are and you know there's no nature versus nurture there so how are they a person who has you know needs or whatever that are different from mainstream and how's that affected how they get their housing food love whatever right yeah yeah absolutely I, I love that I love that you took us on that journey so you know, so what you're, it's like kind of immerse yourself in whether it's historical, contemporary, whatever, immerse yourself in lifestyle, right? In the humanity of the whole thing and look at it with compassion, sympathy, and empathy. Ah, I love that. That's wonderful advice for other authors. I always like to ask this question too, because we all have a bit of a different perspective of the writing life, right? So for, for you, what has been the most challenging part of your writing life, but then on the flip side, what has been the the very best part? I think that my most challenging thing is what all authors, you just, as you said before, get your buns in the seat. I like that buns. I haven't <laughs> heard that in a really long time. I need to get back to Canada. <laughs> sit down in the seat and do it. I mean, that is, that's the hardest thing. I mean, nobody else is going to write that story for you. It's totally about you. You, know, you ha- kind of have to do it. I mean, those words don't come out from anywhere else. And I guess that's why I do the rough draft so quickly, because then, you know, uh, depending on if you're traditionally published or if you're an indie author, you take or discard advice from your editor. I usually take, I'd say I take about 95% of her advice because she's a smart lady. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and for new authors and myself totally included, like when you first get that feedback from someone and it's constructive. I mean, I'm not talking about the people who like leave a one-star review on your book, on your book. And they just say, okay. <laughs> Whatever. That's, always, that's always a bummer for sure. <laughs> you know, people who are giving you like honest um, criticism um, about whatever the reality is, is that you kind of need to get over your ego and be like, ah, how I wrote it is maybe not how uh, it came out mm-hmm. sometimes, or even the way that it came out just doesn't work. If it doesn't work for an, somebody who reads books all day long, 365 days a year, then somebody else who sits down and reads it, that's not going to work for them either. So you kind of have to take stuff and be like, you're not perfect. That's why you're a writer. That's why it's a rough draft. <laughs> Thank God you don't have to use a typewriter anymore. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and, and, and mail, you know, a manuscript this big, you know, snail mail over over uh, the and mail it back and then, you know, do all the things by hand. Yeah, we are fortunate that it's a little more zippy these days. But I love what you said about taking constructive feedback from trusted sources, your editor, you know, early readers, you know, and, and understanding that, you know, in, in your head, what you were thought you were saying might not have landed because, you know, take, and, and I was, I just was on another interview earlier and it was, it's like, it takes a tribe, a team, a herd of people working together to get your words shaped up and the product created and out into the world and take, 
take the trusted advice you you but you don't have to take it all like you said you take about 95 percent yeah yeah I mean I can't remember who said it probably like loads of people have but the idea that like you would never take criticism from somebody that you wouldn't take advice out from Mm. so as you said like you have your people like I have my editors I have proofreaders I have beta readers and uh you know they're hard on me because that's why I keep them around because I want them to you know tell me what works and what doesn't work but I also would take advice like I take life advice from them too Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like I it's not just um you know I would you know, some people like, oh, well, this doesn't work or whatever. I'm like, and you kind of sit down and you're like, well, actually, like, I wouldn't, like, would, would, would I sit down with a beer with you and, you know, hash some stuff out? Probably not. So I'm just going to discard that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's really, really, really good advice. And then the best part for you about being a writer uh, well, the best part is doing stuff like this. This is awesome. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm having a great time talking with you. You get to meet a lot of really interesting people and ask really interesting questions and, you know, hear back from readers. Like, you know, the, the, it's a interactive Yeah, you thing. get to, yeah, exactly. You get to, you get to like to talk to other authors and stuff, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And everyone's experiences are so different, but exactly the same. Like everyone has exactly the same problem. Like a lot of indie authors go into indie because their genre wasn't like selling at that point. Um, you know, they didn't find the right agent for them. They, so they just decided to kind of strike it out on their own. There is, I think that kind of feeling of like a wild west, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, hey, you know, things aren't working for me over here in New York. So I'm just going to like head out west and see how that whole thing goes. Mm-hmm. And that's like a kind of a cool spirit, really, where everybody's kind of uh, helping one another as well. But also it's cool because, you know, I, I love it when somebody writes to me like on like Facebook or or Instagram or whatever, and they send a message and they're just like, I, wrote, I read your book and this really stuck with me. And I like it when it's something that didn't stick with me. Does that make any sense? Where I like, oh, like I didn't really think of it that way, or like that's kind of cool. Like I didn't, I didn't envision that that would be a thing, but that's cool that it's a thing for you. <laughs> yeah, it it totally is. I mean, and it it's it's like this. Once you're done writing it and you put it out in the world, it it is for our readers. It's for others to have experiences with. And I totally get what you're saying. I've had I've had readers reach out to me about something that happened with a horse in the book and they're like this actually happened to me and my friend I was moved by this part and I was like oh that you know it didn't I didn't think of it that way and it's it's just it's really neat I mean we all but again writing and creativity is subjective right we all have our own interpretations of what we're watching what we're reading and what we take from it you know it's like I might be inspired by one thing where another person is inspired by another but the book as a whole is something that people use to be inspired or get lost or lose themselves or, or have an epiphany. And it's just, it's really neat that we get to do that. Yes, absolutely. It's such a privilege, mm-hmm. really. It is. Very lucky. Yeah. We can't write anything depressing. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've been at this for a long time. So I was wondering, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back in time before you published your first book? What would you tell your your uh, aspiring author self? I would probably tell myself to probably not be so hard on yourself those first few years. <laughs> mm. uh, that being an author is not about like what you think your expectations are, but just like I said before, like sitting down and doing it every single day and getting your words out 
Or like even if you sat in front of the computer and no words came that day, I mean, at least you sat down in front of the computer and tried. To me, the only failed author is author who has something to share, but they gave up. The reality is that right now you can share it. Just because you are not uh, traditionally published, you can still get that thing that you wanted to share with other people out there and just to persevere really and, and know like what, you know, just decide what makes you an author and get there. And, and, and it doesn't have to be this big thing. It can be just, a, a, you know, a, a small thing and keep writing. Like I love reading. So I want more books to come out. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you. And I think, I think we're all capable of it. It's just that I don't know what it is. It's an author thing. It's a writer thing. It's that resistance to sit in the chair. But after I've <laughs> sat in the chair and I've done my writing and I get up, I am like, elated I am the happiest person in the world and I don't know what that that is it's like I don't know why I'd rather go clean the toilet than sit in front of my computer and <laughs> write the word just to check something off my to-do list you know what I mean it's yeah. like I don't get it and then I always feel better if I've written and I, I think you've spoken very eloquently to that you know just do it today do it tomorrow don't think too hard about it it, it, it being a writer is a practice in perseverance you totally yes. nailed that on the head uh, <laughs> And that's great, great advice. And not be so hard on ourselves. You know, it's like the first book, you just, you got to do it. You got to get it out there, you know, do the right things, work with the right people, try and make the best product you can. But inevitably there's going to be hiccups and learning lessons and learning curves and errors, but just get, do it. Once you do the first one, then you know you can do it. And you can always improve upon that first one too. When Absolutely. Absolutely. You can always go back. I think the big thing too, is that like, not everyone's going to like your work, True. <laughs> but those are not the people for you. You know, like sometimes you go on a date and you're like, this is not the person for me. <laughs> it's and, the same thing for books. <laughs> yeah. I love that you mentioned that you're right. It's like, you know, it's like in the, when you're, when you're a newbie, those first, you know, few rejections or bad dates are difficult, yeah. you know, you, but you grow a thicker skin and you really, you know, it's like, somebody else said this on the podcast. It's like, not everyone likes Coca-Cola, right? That's not right. everyone likes diet Coke. It's like the same thing as, as long as you're happy with your, what you're writing and it's a passion for you and you're putting something out, you will find your group. You'll find your tribe. You'll find the people that like what you, what you have to say. And just, just, you know, and it's funny too. Don't we always focus on just like the one rather than the all of them that are saying, I love your work, I love your work. And then there's just this one over here that's like chirping. Yeah. Like, I think that's a, a human thing too, you know, like what 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 keeps you up at 3 a.m.? Not like an amazing experience that you had. It's always like some sort of awful thing that happened to you in high school, <laughs> like like 40 years ago. <laughs> like what? <laughs> oh, you are so, so, so right. Yeah. So you're not alone. We're all going through it together. And I love that. I love that you brought that up. I was wondering, is there anything one of your readers would be surprised to learn about you? I mean, you've lived all over the place. I mean, you have a very robust background, but anything? You know, probably what people will be surprised to learn about me. My husband was super surprised when we first got together. Um, I read loads of history and uh, and, and uh, all sorts of different kind of biographies and books and stuff from all over the place, but I'm a huge Marvel fan. Really? Wow. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so I'm like watching Loki right now, like, oh God, like what? Only one comes out a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So a Marvel fan. I mean, I'm sure some of that has got to inspire some of the work that you do too. I mean, it's just yeah maybe more of the magic realism stuff but like I my like my the magic realism that I'm doing right now is like super subtle like not like kind of superheroes and stuff like that but like I don't know why I like it like they've got such good dialogue in it and it's super witty and like I mean I don't know it's kind of, it's really cool I don't know what draws me to it but I just I love that <laughs> that's thing. interesting always since you were younger or was this you know like nobody influenced you into it you just kind of fell into it no I just sort of fell into it really like I I think it was when the first Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man came out and I was like it's good it's witty it's fun it's fast paced like you don't um there's always like some sort of like big message right Mm -hmm. like if you're looking for it you can always find like the big message you know like be kind to one another or whatever I don't know and I like I guess I respect the writers in it because it's such a massive, huge universe. And then they've got all these like really individualistic stories that all fit in really great. Like, I just think to myself, like, could I create something that huge that works? Mm. I mean, it's massive. I mean, as a writer yourself, like, like that is a huge universe to work with. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, and I love how you, you just wrapped all that up and thought about it. I mean, it is a really interesting way to think about enjoying the Marvel Universe because it all does meld together. Very cool. Now, okay, you're writing the book based in Singapore right now. Yes. You've got a series coming of five to six books. Where are you heading? What's next? What are you thinking? <laughs> Where are you going with, with everything? Yeah, um, that is uh, that, that is a, a totally up for debate, I think. <laughs> so after I finish writing uh, the Singapore book, I have a contemporary book that fits in with my contemporary series. That's called Never Reaching the End because it felt like I was never going to reach the end of that book. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> it can feel like that sometimes. You're, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, because I am starting on all these new series and stuff like that, it kind of really opens myself up to stuff. I, I haven't decided if I'm going to end the contemporary romance series altogether because mm-hmm. it's actually at a really good place where I can just kind of leave it and then start other projects. Or if I'm going to continue on with it, like, Otherwise, I don't want to end up overstretched over too many books, if that kind of makes sense. So, yeah, we just kind of see what happens. I'm writing the, the, the Singapore one, so we'll see what happens with that. I have another magic realism book that could come out in December that's already kind of just sitting there waiting. You know, as an author, you probably have loads of stories and books and stuff and, and books that are just sort of sitting on your hard drive, like, hmm, is it a good time to publish them or not kind of thing. Like, I wish I had something sitting on my hard drive. I've got a lot of starts and a lot of ideas <laughs> and a like long list of things I want to do and where to go. But yeah, like sitting, just sitting there waiting on the hard drive. Woo, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> it, is, it is a good thing. It, can be, it leaves you with some choice. It leaves people with choices. That's true. These are the author with choices. But definitely the American heiress books will definitely come out. And then we'll see kind of how the Singaporean one turns out. But definitely could be a series because I love series. <laughs> series are smart, especially for us indie authors. Keep, keep those readers wanting more. But it sounds to me like you've got a lot of, opportunity lots of possibilities but you're staying pretty focused on what's ahead of you so you don't overwhelm you know and, th- and that's an important yes. for authors to consider it's like it's just get this thing done stay focused here 
work towards release date and don't get the overwhelm. Because if you think of, I'm going to write a series of six books that can like, that can kind of blow your mind up. You just got to write, sit, sit down, do your thousand words a day, drive it forward every day. What's the one thing you can do every day to move a project forward? And it sounds like you yeah. got your head wrapped around that really well. Garland, I have so enjoyed talking with you today. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for waking up early and speaking to me from Singapore. Would you let readers know where they can find out more information about you and where they can find your books? Yep, absolutely. So you will be able to buy them all on uh, Kindle. You can get a paperback and a uh, soon there'll be an audio as well. <laughs> you can get Kindle or a paperback on there. It's on Kobo. So that is like an ebook and you can get it on Barnes and Noble as well as a paperback or an ebook. And also if any of you are uh, signed up to Book Sirens, you can get yourself an ARC over there. So definitely, like, you can kind of find them everywhere. And book Sirens. What, what Talk to us a little bit about what Book, book Sirens is. I don't know that. Book I'm... Sirens is an ARC release. So that's an advanced reader copy. So if you are a voracious reader and, like, you just love to experience new books or you have old genres, you can sign up to them. And basically, you get books for free, which wow. is fantastic. But you have to uh, leave a review. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So you have to leave a review. So I use them quite often, actually, um, just to get uh, kind of a bit of a buzz around the book and stuff like that. So definitely have a look. <laughs> For sure. And I will link to all the places where you can catch up with Garland and find her books in her show notes. And thank you again for the gift of your time. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> I look forward to reading your books too. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> authors supporting authors. That's what I'm all about. Authors Unite. That's right. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author, who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlykidcreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>